BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the Census Bureau is ending its population count a month early, though nearly 40% of the country has yet to fill out the forms. Census Bureau Director Stephen Dillingham confirmed late Monday that all counting efforts will wrap up by September 30th. The move is setting off alarm bells among census experts of a massive undercount, especially in states like California with many hard-to-reach populations. We look at why the Bureau went from asking for more time to complete the tally given the pandemic to announcing it would take less. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Roughly 40% of U.S. residents still need to fill out their census forms, and they now have until the end of September, rather than the end of October, to do it. The head of the Census Bureau confirmed this week that it will end all counting efforts a month early, a reversal from a request a few months ago to extend the time frame, given disruptions caused by the pandemic. The constitutionally mandated count of everyone living in the U.S. every 10 years is used to allocate federal funding and apportion congressional seats. And this last-minute change is raising fears among some census experts of a deeply flawed tally. We're joined now by Pamela Michael, media specialist for the U.S. Census Bureau. Thanks so much for joining us, Pamela Michael. I'm happy to be here, Mina. Michael Wines is also with us, national correspondent for The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Michael Wines. My pleasure. And Beth Link, Census Counts Campaign Director for the Leadership Council on Civil and Human Rights. Appreciate having you on as well, Beth Link. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. And, and Michael Wines, I'll start with you. Could you just tell us a little more about this turnabout by the Census Bureau from asking for more time to complete the count to cutting it short by a month? Uh, sure. Uh, this started, of course, with the pandemic last spring. Uh, normally, the census starts uh, on or about April 1st, and they wind up the actual counting portion sometime in August. But when the pandemic basically shut down operations nationwide, uh, in April, the Bureau decided to ask uh, Congress to extend the deadline for turning over uh, information, population information, to the White House for reapportionment purposes. That deadline is uh, December 31st, and they asked to extend it to, to April of 2021 because they said they did not have the time to do it. At the same time, they decided to extend the actual counting process, which would have ended in August up to October 31st. And what's happened now is they have done something of a U-turn. They've said we want to cut four weeks off of that counting process. Uh, it ended on September 30th instead so that they can meet that December deadline for getting reapportionment data to the White House. Now, four weeks doesn't sound like a lot, but they have to count 60 million households. Uh, they had had 10 weeks to do it. This will lower it down to about six. So uh, for the census people, it is quite a challenge. And Pamela, Michael, what is the stated reason for doing this? Well, the stated reason is that, that they have a statutory deadline of December 31st to get those uh, population totals for reapportionment to the president. The president sends them to the next Congress uh, and reapportionment takes place from there. And, uh, uh, well, let me ask Pamela Michael of the Census Bureau, if you have heard a specific reason as to why this cut of one month is necessary. Well, the extension uh, was tentatively approved, the three month extension and has since been disapproved. So we do not have until spring to deliver the data to Congress and the President. We have only until the original date of December 31st. And um, Excuse me, so what do you mean by disapproved though? So do you mean specifically Well, we'd asked that Congress for a three month extension and essentially we didn't get it. 
So the House approved it, but the Republican-led Senate did not? Uh, I'm actually not sure of where it got hung up in the process, mm. but it was, it was not approved. Michael Wines, do you know? Michael Wines, are you there? Well, we'll try to reconnect with Michael Wines. So basically, what does this mean for your efforts now, Pamela Michael, to get the count in by September 30th? Well, we, as always, are continually reevaluating our operational plans to collect and process the census data. We've made some adjustments um, and fully intend to get as accurate and complete a count as we can. Uh, one thing we've done is we have added for the first time ever an email outreach. So some of the households who have not responded will receive emails encouraging them and instructing them on how to do, do so. Uh, we also have instituted something called mobile questionnaire assistance. And these will be tables set up, canopies, kiosks in various locations like supermarkets or in public places in accordance with all federal and state and local guidelines for um, COVID protocols. And those will provide in-person assistance to people wanting to uh, fill out the questionnaire. Um, we've also uh, committed to hiring more enumerators, so we're speeding up the, the response, not, it's called non-response follow-up, the door knockers, the people who actually come to the door of households who have not yet responded. Um, those uh, those enumerators, they're called, will be uh, increased in number and their hours will be extended. A lot of them are part-time and the Census Bureau has instituted a kind of rewards program so if you work more hours, you're compensated to a greater degree. Um, so uh, um, uh, we're doing all we can to meet these challenges. Fair to say, Pamela Michael, that this new announcement has been somewhat disruptive? Like so many things, it seems, in 2020. <laughs> yes, it has. But I have to say that the Census Bureau, uh, maybe only comparable to NASA, is mission-driven like I've never seen before. Um, the people who work there are determined to get as complete and accurate account as possible. And, and as you know, the consequences are um, considerable. The stakes are very high. Yes. Um, and I want to get into that a little bit more. But Michael Wines, uh, are you there? Uh, I am. Can you hear me? I can now. Thanks. I just wanted you to clear up this question around whether or not the Census Bureau was basically denied its request for an extension. Yeah, what happened was that the House actually uh, passed uh, this extension, I think, in May as part of a coronavirus relief bill. The Senate uh, is still debating that bill, but they have not included language to extend the, the statutory deadline in it. And I think it's pretty much commonly believed that that's not a Senate decision, that's a White House decision. Uh, the reason that, that the White House wants this data, this population data, by December 31st is that President Trump uh, issued an order last month to exclude undocumented immigrants from population totals used for reapportionment. And uh, he cannot do that uh, unless he has the data in his hands. And were the extension to April 2021 approved, there is at least a chance that we would have a new president in office and uh, he would decide what to do with that data. And maybe would not be interested in including undocumented excluding undocumented immigrants from that Mina, data. Mina, could I add something? The HEROES Act, which is yet to be approved, contains um, a section on uh, a four-month extension for the Census Bureau. Thank so you. Whether or not that passes is another matter, but there is a, another attempt at extending this process in the works. But in the meantime, Beth Link, the Census Bureau will have to operate uh, as though everything is ending a month early. And by everything, that means all the follow-up door knocking and also even the website where they're collecting uh, information and people are filling out the forms online. That will end as well. What do you think is the reason behind this decision by the Census Bureau? Yeah, I mean, a, a successful 2020 
2020 census requires toning everyone and following up with those who did not respond on their own. Just to give listeners a sense of what states we're talking about here, um, response rates um, on average and predominantly American Indian and Alaska Native communities are less than half of the average uh, U.S. response rate. Uh, response rates in predominantly Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander as well as in Black communities are more than 10 percentage points behind the average U.S. rate. And in predominantly Hispanic and Latino neighborhoods, um, we're seeing response rates on average more than seven points behind the overall U.S. rate. In census after census, decade after decade, the uh, door-to-door outreach that the Census Bureau does at the end of the census really counts the communities that are most at risk of being missed, that are hardest to reach. Uh, and, and this effort to cut the census short that is driven by uh, for, for partisan political gain by the Trump administration is really a sabotage of the census. We know that Trump has been trying to sabotage the census from the start, and now he wants to force the Census Bureau to produce an unfinished count of unacceptable quality. Um, and I'll just note the Census Bureau experts and the administration asked Congress to extend the reporting deadline uh, for congressional apportionment. The House has already taken action. And right now, this week, the Senate is negotiating the final details of the bill and has the opportunity to include an extension of the reporting deadlines so that uh, the Census Bureau has the uh, time to count everyone. Uh, if we see the shortened timeline, um, it, it will really threaten a, a, an unacceptable and incredibly dangerous undercount. So I'm hearing a couple things in what you're saying, Beth Link. One is that we are behind, especially in counting certain communities of color, uh, than we are typically or around this time when it comes to the census count. So you're saying that the Bureau has more people to count than ever before with this shortened uh, deadline. And then in addition to that, you're saying that there's a chance that an extension could be approved because of the language in these recent bills. Michael Wines, what's the likelihood that uh, this extension would happen? Uh, I think that depends entirely on uh, how strongly the Democrats who are in favor of it uh, hold to it in negotiations. Well, what would be the impact? I mean, we've touched on this a little bit, but Beth Link, what would be the impact of an undercount in your view? An undercount would be disastrous for communities across the country, for cities, for states. Uh, and unfortunately, what we would see is disparities um, in federal funding allocation in the distribution of political power um, being uh, concentrated in the communities that have been hit hardest by this pandemic um, and uh, the communities that need the resources to rebuild um, over the next decade. Um, we know that uh, communities of color, um, uh, tribal communities have been hit incredibly hard uh, by the, the pandemic and, and the health crisis that we're all in. Um, and in order to reach those communities, those cities, um, those communities need federal funding. The census data distributes $1.5 trillion in resources for education, infrastructure, healthcare, um, and, and that would be distributed inaccurately um, if uh, we are seeing, um, and I think the risk here is that we would see millions of people left out of this census. The one thing I also just wanna mention um, on kind of the impact of this pandemic on the counting of folks. You're absolutely right that we have more people to count in uh, left in this census than we have in any census um, at this point in the count in recent memory. Um, but we also, the Census Bureau was really banking on having some ability of, of flexibility in that door-to-door -door outreach uh, to ensure that they were being safe with regard to where the pandemic is spiking um, so that they could kind of fluctuate in, in their outreach uh, and, and adjust as needed based off of the progression of the virus. In a compressed timeline of about six weeks, that just may not be possible at all. Uh, and so it's unclear what that means for communities that are hit hard by the virus. Yes, and you, you mentioned in terms of how to count populations, people of color and so forth, also just renters, rural residents, immigrants, and, and young people can be very difficult to count as well. Uh, Pamela, Michael, I know that you also are very focused on California. Can you talk about how we are doing in California in terms of our responses and where there still needs to be a lot more follow-up? 
Yes, um, and, and also let me add that one of the consequences of an undercount um, is that, and even with an accurate count, California is in danger of losing um, one congressperson, uh, which has is is a severe <laughs> severe uh, penalty to pay for an undercount. Um, California is a little ahead of the national average, which as of this morning was about 63% of households had self-responded. Uh, the majority of those online, which was um, an option for the first time this decennial, it's proven very popular, needless to say. Uh, San Francisco is a little bit behind both the California and the national average at 61.1%. Um, by various counties, there are some counties that are very low. Uh, Trinity County, for instance, 275 so there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, Central Valley is at 62%, Fresno, Del Norte 57, LA is 52.9, also quite low. Um, so it varies from county to county and community to community and census tract to census tract, actually. Um, but those counties and those uh, those numbers are of great interest to the Census Bureau, so resources are always put in the places where they're most needed. And uh, those counties are getting additional media attention, uh, additional uh, uh, follow-up. One of the, I think, brilliant uh, ways that the Census Bureau accomplishes this monumental task, which, by, by the way, is the largest peacetime undertaking that the country ever does, is the U.S. Census decennial. Um, we have over 400,000 partners, community partners, um, who very actively help us get the word out. Uh, these are nonprofits, these are counties, cities, media outlets, a variety of people. And um, without them, this count would not be possible. Um, it's, a, it's a really great way to um, supplement the funding and the work of the census itself. And so what has been the reaction of some of these workers and community partners to, as you've mentioned, sort of the issues that the census has faced, but in particular this most recent turnabout with reducing the time for a count by a month? I mean, I know that NPR talked to a census worker who basically said that they're very fearful that they're going to have a massive undercount as a result and that it's going to be impossible to complete the count in this time frame. There, there are fears out there, and I have to say the, the partners and the Bureau have been very adaptable um, when, this, the, when the pandemic prevented uh, a lot of the face-to-face -face outreach that many of our partners had planned. Uh, they came up with car caravans that would go through hard-to-count neighborhoods with songs being played over the radios and people waving and dispersing tacos and things like that. Uh, there have been chalk art competitions um, in various cities where they do census art on the, on the sidewalks. Um, they're putting census flyers in bags of food being distributed by food banks. Um, so, you know, in every way possible, um, these partners have attempted to help us make up the difference of uh, this shortfall of time. Well, let me invite our listeners to join the conversation. We're talking about the Census Bureau's decision to end its population count a month early with Pamela Michael, a media specialist for the U.S. Census Bureau, Michael Wines, a national correspondent for the New York Times, and Beth Link, Census Counts Campaign Director for the Leadership Council on Civil and Human Rights. What are your thoughts or concerns about the census count? What do you think is behind this decision to reduce it by a month? Are you reluctant to fill out a census form? Tell us why. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, that number, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Michael Wines, I want to dig in a little more to this question of trying to remove undocumented people from the tally. Right now, we know that there have been several lawsuits filed against this. You are mentioning that uh, the Census Bureau is saying that it wants to get this information to uh, in so that uh, 
the current president will have an opportunity to be able to have it at his disposal um, with regard to trying to figure out how many people are in the country if you exclude the number of undocumented immigrants. I mean, can you talk about where this is going? What is the plan for this and the potential political impact it could have? Uh, well, I think it's it's largely assumed, although not entirely correctly, that excluding undocumented immigrants from, from the count used for reapportionment would benefit Republicans because uh, uh, many undocumenteds are in urban areas, uh, which tend to, to lean Democratic. When you take them out, uh, you have to expand the area of a district uh, in order to reach the, the uh, required population figure. And uh, that means that uh, uh, those areas, uh, Become uh, become much larger, and uh, citizens in those uh, uh, cede some of their power to surrounding districts. So what essentially happens is is that uh, by excluding the undocumenteds from these totals, you wind up with fewer districts, but they tend to be uh, uh, many people say redder. That's not entirely true. Now, uh, if you if you remove undocumented immigrants from the population totals, you're going to see some states that are fairly reliably Republican, Texas, for instance, uh, Florida uh, probably would lose people. Uh, so uh, it's uh, kind of, as Mar Marco Rubio said only last week, it's kind of a catch-22 for Republicans who generally are supportive of, of this policy, but uh, may stand to lose some seats themselves. Uh, and in terms of federal funding, I mean, Beth Link touched on this a little bit, but could you add to just not just how funding allocations work, but also just how these census figures are used for so many things, in, including research and and so much more. Well, it's, the thing about the census is it isn't just a census for one year. Uh, the 2020 census is going to serve as the baseline for the next 10 years of, of federal decisions and not just federal decisions. Uh, marketers use these statistics if they're trying to decide where they want to put a shopping center. Uh, people just trying to decide where they want to build a highway. Uh, all of these things are, are decided in part by population totals. Uh, when it comes to federal funding, uh, take a, a town like Houston, which has a, is said to have a large population of, of undocumenteds. If you remove those from the, uh, from the totals uh, that are used to determine federal funding, uh, you find that, that Houston winds up getting uh, less money uh, for a larger area, but th those undocumented immigrants do not go away. They're still in the economy. Uh, they still have needs. They still have health care needs. They still use roads. So uh, for many of these places, uh, uh, removing undocumented immigrants from the totals, particularly for federal funding, would be a real strain. Well, Robert writes, the Republicans' move to constrict the census is in line with their ongoing efforts to restrict voter participation. They want as little civic participation as possible, which is the only way they can win. Shame on them. Madeline writes, isn't removing undocumented immigrants from census data unconstitutional? I thought apportionment was based on population, not just population of citizens. And Beth Link, I mean, that's basically what these lawsuits are arguing, right, that, that they are violating the Constitution. Absolutely. At this point, there are nine lawsuits uh, challenging uh, Trump's unconstitutional executive memorandum. Uh, the, the simple point is that the, the proposal is unconstitutional on its face. Uh, the Constitution says the census counts everyone living in the United States, every immigrant, every child, every neighbor, every student, everyone. Um, the, the Constitution clearly says persons, um, and persons means persons, and that means everyone. Um, we are... Oh. We'll have we'll have to take a break now, but we'll have more with you, Beth, after the break and with Michael Wines and Pamela Michael. So stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The Census Bureau is ending its population count a month early, though nearly 40 percent of the country has yet to fill out the forms. We're looking at what ending the count early could mean, especially for California's historically undercounted communities and for the state's political representation. And we're hearing from you, our listeners. Call us at 866-733-6786 with your questions, comments, concerns. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also email us at forum at kqed.org or reach us on on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And let me start with Paula in Richmond. Hi, Paula. 
Hi, good morning. Good morning. Go right ahead. Yes, I wanted to just add that I will be working for the census, and we are barely had just started training. So I don't understand how Congress and other policymakers aren't behind extending it when everyone else in the U.S. had to stay home. We had a lot of stress. There was a lot of things in our mind that we had to, you know, be handling, and the census was literally at the back of our minds. So I really do think that there needs to be a longer period for counting, especially if we're going to get a count that's going to be accurate enough to be able to, if, when, if we get a vaccine, to get everyone one. Paula, thanks. I mean, Pamela, Michael, what's your response to Paula on that in terms of just the the feeling that she's just only beginning to get the training necessary to be able to do the big push to knock on people's doors and do other follow-up activities? Yes, the, the, the non-response follow-up, it's called the people knocking on doors, will begin in earnest on, October, on August 11th. So um, those enumerators are being trained in um, not only the operational, the field uh, skills needed to do this, and it's, as you can imagine, it's a kind of sensitive job. Even in the best of times, many people don't want to open their doors to a stranger. Um, but uh, nowadays, it's even <laughs> a more difficult sell. So um, there will be additional enumerators hired, which is, I mean, everybody wishes we had more time. There's no question about that. But um, the Census Bureau is determined to do its best to fulfill its congressional mandate of delivering a complete and accurate count of the uh, U.S. population by December 31st. We, we really have no, um, at this point, we have no option. So we're doing the best we can. Michael Wines, what is Congress trying to do about this? I mean, I know that Representative Carolyn Maloney of New York has sent a letter and wants to call uh, people to testify. Can, can you tell us what what she's attempting to do here? Well, uh, Congresswoman Maloney and a lot of Democrats believe that this that this uh, effort to step up the count to to, to uh, end it early is politically motivated, and. Uh, they want to see what the career census officials, many of them employees for 20, 30 years, uh, think about this, uh, rather than getting an explanation from the, uh, from the director who is politically appointed uh, or people in the Department of Commerce. And it is fair to say, I think, that there is a lot of, of uh, unhappiness uh, within the Census Bureau and, uh, and outside over the potential ramifications of speeding up this count. I mean, we had four former Census Bureau directors from both parties, Republican and Democrat, issued a letter earlier this week warning that this was going to seriously uh, impair the accuracy of the count. Uh, and within the Census Bureau, two, two senior officials, including one who was in charge of the field operations for the census, we're saying this summer that there's literally no way that, that uh, a good total can be provided by December 31st. Uh, one of them said, we're just simply beyond that point. So the, it's- Sorry, yes. go right ahead. Well, I was just gonna say it's, it's so it's, it is, a, a, I think a, a, a topic of some contention within the Bureau and outside as to whether this actually can be done uh, and, and produce a census that is, that is usable. Some of the former Census Bureau directors have actually raise the possibility that the census might be so off that a future Congress might want to come back and order them to make corrections. Well, that sounds like this question from Greg, who writes, if the census is apparently undercounted, what legal recourse is available to contest the count? Can Congress invalidate the count? Michael Wines. Uh, Congress can do pretty much whatever it wants to do, including order a, 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 a census uh, in the middle of the decade, although I don't believe that can be used for apportionment purposes. But they could, they could even order a new census later on to get more accurate totals for federal funding and other uses. Um, but uh, the question of, of actually who decides when a census is unusable is, is kind of uh, unexplored turf. I mean, I presumably Congress could make that decision. Uh, cities and, uh, and other local government entities uh, file suits after censuses all the time, alleging that they weren't counted properly. And, and very often they wind up getting some sort of re remedial count to uh, up their population figures. 
But uh, how you could do that on a national basis is another matter. Well, in that same letter, Beth Link, uh, written by the four former Census Bureau directors who served in both Democratic and Republican administrations, as Michael Wines pointed out, they asked for an independent institution to measure whether the 2020 count matches, you know, fairly closely with previous censuses. I mean, what what do you think about that? Do you think that that would be enough? You know, I, I think it's important to to note that, you know, Congress has the ability right now um, in the negotiations that are happening to extend the reporting deadlines um, so that the feedback and requests from that it, the career and scientific expert staff within the Census Bureau that has been saying loud and clear that they need the time to count everyone, um, that they are given that time um, and the ability to, to do their constitutionally mandated role. Um, you know, the right now it, it's it is uh, as you're hearing on, on this show the uh process of counting everyone going door to door to follow up with those communities that have not yet at those households that have not yet responded to the census is so critical to ensuring a fair count but then it's also important to note that uh after the data collection is complete there is uh, a lot of painstaking vital work of coverage improvement um checking for duplications and omissions processing um, that also helps to uh, reduce the differential the differential undercount of people um, of color, of renters, of low-income people, um, and, and fix some of the inaccuracies, which again, have been made worse by this pandemic. Um, and under the original 2020 census timeline, pre-COVID, the Census Bureau would have had about five months to do all of that work. Uh, and, and right now, uh, the administration is pushing for the Census Bureau to have to do all of that and complete the count by December. That is just impossible if they want accurate information and accurate data. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, we as, as civil rights advocates, as uh, organizations and partners that have been going out to communities across the country, uh, have been calling uh, on Congress this week to uh, extend the statutory deadlines for apportionment and redistricting in the COVID package that's being negotiated right now. Mm -hmm. And I think you're answering Lisa's question. Lisa asked, what agency, body, or person has the power to oversee census activities? I mean, the Census Department is under the Department of Commerce, but uh, it's Congress, not the president, with final authority over the census. Let me go to caller exactly. Gabriel in Oakland. Hi, Gabriel. Hi. I live on a really diverse street, and there's neighbors where, you know, basically I'm a citizen, but if I was undocumented, there is nothing this government could tell me to get counted with this administration. If I worked for ICE, I'd currently feel emboldened to try to access that data to find these people. So I'm, in, I'm curious, what law is there that will penalize an ICE agent for accessing this data, even though they shouldn't and they can't by the law, but how do we know, how, how can we ensure people that ICE isn't gonna take advantage of this with this administration? Uh, well, Pamela, Michael, do you want to address uh, Gabriel's concern? Yes. Um Title 13 uh, has a lot of teeth. Uh, that data is among the most highly protected information uh, in the world. The Census Bureau's uh, security uh, professionals are uh, absolutely, absolutely conscientious about this. It's illegal. Uh, you can go to jail. You can be fined. Uh, as a census employee, I can be fined $250,000 and go to jail for five years for even uh, revealing. And, and I don't have access to that kind of information. But if I did and I revealed it, I would be severely penalized. They take this very seriously. Uh, the cybersecurity for the Census Bureau is beyond state-of-the-art. There's something called privacy differential, differential privacy that uh, is being implemented that is, um, makes it very hard for even the most talented hacker to get into any of that data. But uh, this data cannot be released to landlords, ICE, housing bureaus, uh, anyone. And also, you should know that these statistics are mostly numbers. They're stored as aggregate numbers. There's very little data in the system that connects Gabriel at that address, um, at that age, and that, you know, that status. So uh, you can be assured that that information is 
really secure. Though still, it's hard when you are being asked very specific questions in the form, not to feel that it is connected to that number that you received uh, in the mail. And Beth Link, I think what Gabriel is also underscoring is just the concerns generally of the chilling effect that, you know, the the drive for a citizenship quest, question on the um, census form that the Supreme Court ultimately rejected, but, but that that has had a chilling effect on immigrants and, and unauthorized immigrants as well to fill out the form. Do you do you have any sense of whether or not, you know, all the things that have happened, the rejection by the Supreme Court has actually helped, or do you still feel like that that effect has been lasting? I, I think, as you noted, it's important for everyone to know and to remember that there is no citizenship question on the 2020 census. Um, the Census Counts campaign, which is housed at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, um, has brought together community groups um, in, in all 50 states in the District of Columbia, partners that have been getting out the count, going um, via reaching people via Zoom, via trainings at food banks, um, going door to door where it's safe to do so. Um, and engaging and addressing some of the community concerns on a very local level. Um, and one of the things that keeps coming up and we've seen also in data research from uh, Pew shows that the majority of folks uh, that are not following this super closely do think that there is still a citizenship question on the 2020 mm. census. And so that is something that our advocates on the ground have had to address. In addition, the unconstitutional memorandum that was introduced last month uh, uh, throws chaos, confusion, and additional levels of fear about who counts and who doesn't. As a reminder, the Constitution is crystal clear. Everyone counts uh, and has a right to be counted. Um, it's your right to respond to the census, um, and we are encouraging everyone to do that. Um, and as was noted, personal responses are uh, that are collected by the Census Bureau are protected for 72 years under incredibly strong legal protections. Um, the Leadership Conference, along with MALDEF, Asian American advancing justice um, and over 300 civil rights organizations, um, advocates, uh, and, and, and legal groups came together uh, to uh, pledge to be watchdogs and uh, fight for communities that, that may be fearful um, and, and assure folks that we've got your back. We are going to be monitoring for any uh, violation of our rights and of uh, those strong confidentiality protections. Uh, and folks are prepared and willing to take action if that did happen. Um, and, and so we're really assuring folks that those protections are incredibly strong um, and encouraging folks to participate in the census. Well, let me go next to caller Carrie in Ventura. Hi, Carrie. Hi, good morning. I'm, I'm worried because I never got a census. And I understand there's quite a few of us. Um, is there a phone number that we could report that we did not so we understand if there's a, a problem here, a magnitude of how many of us have not received a, a census. That's my first question. Is there a phone number to call? The second, just a point. Normally, I, I go to the library to use Internet. Of course, the libraries are closed. So even if I wanted to do this online, I couldn't. So what I'm really concerned about is how many of us have not even received a, a census. Yes, Carrie, thank you. And Pamela Michael Phillip also writes, this is the first I've heard about the census. I've not received anything in the mail. I'm going to go online today and fill out my form online, but there needs to be more mail outs and more public announcements. So, so Pamela Michael, what can Carrie do to be able to get? Carrie, you can call 844-330-2020. And, and for people, Pamela Michael, who didn't get anything in the mail, but they attempt to go online. Will they not be asked, though, for a specific number that was sent to them? No. So, if no, you they go won't. to my2020census.gov, there's a big button that says respond. You can click on that. You can do it in five minutes. There are only nine questions. Uh, and you will not be, if, if you have the 12-digit number that you received in the mail, and apparently these people were missed, you don't need that number in order to respond. And I encourage everyone, I mean, the way to overcome these challenges and to make sure the count is as accurate as possible is for everyone to self-respond before September 30th. 
And if you go to my2020census.gov, you can do that easily. If you don't have access to a computer, you can call 844-330-2020. There's also a Spanish language uh, call line, 844-468-2020. There are also other numbers in 13 languages, including Polish and Creole and Japanese and Vietnamese. If you go to my2020census.gov, you can access those other language aids. And Elaine writes, I submitted my census information online. Do I assume that I've been counted? There was no confirmation. You have been counted. Um, Michael writes, it's hard to believe that states, counties, and cities will not sue the federal government to demand the true number of residents be counted. Have such lawsuits been filed? Michael Wines, we talked about the lawsuits that were filed against the memo that uh, President Trump sent out about excluding undocumented immigrants and trying to get a count that would allow apportionment of congressional seats. Do you know if there are any lawsuits in the works about this this timeline getting cut short? No, I don't, actually. I, I know that that is actually mentioned in, in the uh lawsuit opposing the president's order that has been filed in New York. That's probably the major suit in that area. I have not seen any any uh, any suits dealing with this actual cutback in timing, no. And Beth writes, this really concerns me. What can the average citizen do to make sure those in our community, communities of color, get counted? Uh, Beth Link, I know you touched on some of the, the ways that you're trying to assure people, but what would be your answer to Beth about what the average person can do here? Absolutely. The average person uh, has a, a lot of ability. Um, if you've already taken your census form, uh, taken your, uh, completed your census, um, talk to people you know um, about uh, the census, how important it is. Again, $1.5 trillion every single year for uh, resources like healthcare, education, uh, infrastructure like parks or bike lanes um, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, buses um, and bus routes in your community. It's also how uh, businesses decide to open. Um, they use that data to determine whether or not they're going to open new locations in your community. Um, we like to say um, that anything that you or your community or your family cares about likely has an intersection with the census. So if you're gathering for um, a family uh, Zoom call or for a family gathering or um, virtually and safely with your church community, talk about the census um, because I, I guarantee there's probably someone in your network that has not yet participated in the census. Um, at the Census Counts campaign, we're also uh, texting um, households that have not yet responded uh, to the census. So if folks are interested in, in doing that kind of outreach, uh, you can volunteer or sign up to volunteer at censuscounts.org forward slash text bank. Uh, and and uh, there are many resources um, about how to participate in the census. The last thing I'll note about things that you can do is that we mentioned that starting um, now and, and really in continuing in earnest next week, the Census Bureau is going to start to go door to door. For many communities, that's going to be scary. Mm -hmm. um, questions about is an enumerator real or how do I identify an enumerator? We have graphics, resources um, on how to identify enumerators that you can share in your community, put on your uh, social media so that your community knows. Um, and we can cut down on um, potential fraud attempts um, or efforts to scare communities. So a number of real things um, folks can do. We're all a uh, real opportunity to, to make an impact here. And again, Beth Link is Census Counts Campaign Director for the Leadership Council on Civil and Human Rights. We also have Pamela Michael, Media Specialist for the U.S. Census Bureau, and Michael Wines, National Correspondent for the New York Times with us. And you, our listeners, let me go next to Chris in Rohnert Park. Hi, Chris. Hi, this is Chris. Go right ahead, Chris. Thanks. So I was being onboarded yesterday to be an enumerator, and I was astounded about how incompetent this operation is being run. I waited for seven hours with, uh, with several other hundred people there on the floor. They didn't even provide us chairs to sit on. There was no water. There was no breaks. There was no lunch. I told the person in charge, who was a 20-year-old kid, of the whole operation that this was illegal. And I was told if I didn't like it, I could leave. Mm. I waited for seven hours to get a census phone. And it was taking them at least 45 minutes per person to give them a phone. They ran out of phones and didn't tell anybody for several hours. They let us sit there 
in a, a non-air-conditioned space, and they ran out of phones, and they had a single Chromebook to do the whole operation. From what I saw, it was intentionally being sabotaged from uh, up above. The people that could sit there for five days trying to onboard thousands of people, they're honorable people. But the people above them, after I called the 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 after I left and went home without my phone, I called my supervisor and she said, "Quote: I'm not surprised at all. I know that this is happening. There's nothing I can do. They don't listen to anything I say. The person above that, the person in charge there, is a yes man. And what they do is just say yes." and they don't care about the problem or fix it. Well, Chris, thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry to hear about your experience. And Pamela, Michael, actually, um, we're getting a few emails and, and other responses that are not that dissimilar to what Chris is saying. Can you explain what's going on? Specifically, I can't, although it's not entirely surprising given that there's been this speed up and we are dealing with limited resources. Uh, I'm really sorry, Chris, for your experience. Mine was much more positive, but that was a year ago when things um, were happening at a more predictable and leisurely pace. Uh, there are going to be um, many challenges and problems to overcome. And um, because we've increased the number of enumerators that are being hired at the last minute, uh, it's not surprising that the system is having a hard time accommodating all of them. But what happened to you is inexcusable, I have to say. I'm sorry. Well, Clyde asks, since there's no citizenship question on the census form, how does Trump propose to determine who is a non-citizen? Michael Wines, it's a good question. Yeah, it's an excellent question. Uh, there is no way to determine who is a citizen or a non-citizen, uh, at least in, in for the entire population, without asking them. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the administration was uh, tried to put a question on the census and wasn't allowed to. So what they're doing now is uh, using uh, estimates. Uh, they're using administrative records uh, and, uh, and, and other, er other methods to try to compile a list. It, I think at this point is still unclear whether they can. So they're trying to rely, it sounds like, on maybe other forms of data or, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's really hard to know. <laughs> Well, there are statistical methods. The, the, the Pew Trusts uh, is able to est make a, an estimate of the number of undocumented immigrants nationwide by what they call the residual method, which basically is, is counting the number of people who are in the country, uh, counting the number you know are citizens, and then what's left uh, are non-citizens. But even when you have a category of non-citizens, you still have to find out you know, how many of them are legally in the country, how many of them, of them are undocumented. Uh, it is a huge problem. Well, let me go to Martha and Yorba Linda. Hi, Martha. Hi. Hi. What's I on was, your mind? I uh, was calling uh, because my mother is in a memory care unit in a long-term care facility, and I know that she's not capable of filling out a census, so my concern was uh, how are, how's the census going to be counting people like her? Thanks. Pamela Michael. Yeah, uh, she would fall under what we call our group quarters enumeration, and um, long-term care facilities, colleges, prisons, places that uh, house large numbers of people are counted in a different way. A representative of her facility would fill out a questionnaire um, enumerating everyone in that facility, so um, it's not on your mother to do it individually if she's in that situation. Well, this listener writes, I work at a census headquarters in the East Bay. Shortening the census deadline will definitely result in a large undercount. The damage is already happening with enumerators not wanting to take such a short-term job. Morale is low at my headquarters, and staff is already hunting for new employment. This listener writes, I'm reluctant to fill out the census because data in the hands of this president could easily become dangerous. I'd like to actually get both Pamela Michael and Beth Link to respond to that concern, that reluctance. Beth Link? I think, um, I mean, the stories that have been shared on, on this program um, really indicate a system that is incredibly stressed, um, has been under pressure from 
the pandemic. Uh, the reality is that in uh, April and May, we saw field operations stop, uh, then be, begin to resume. Now there is intense pressure being put on expediting a process that has the lowest self-response rates at this point in the census process in memory. Uh, and trying to do that while communities are grappling with a, a virus, um, uh, grappling with uh, historic levels of um, unemployment and other crises um, in, in this moment, and, uh, and, and then trying to speed it up all by a month. Um, it is just uh, incredibly concerning, and um, obviously uh, we're, we're at risk for historic undercounts and historic uh, historically inaccurate and incomplete data. Um, I think we at the leadership conference uh, and at census counts are monitoring this very closely. Uh, we have uh, through hotlines, through our civil rights partners and through our advocates on the grounds are collecting much of the information um, that we're, we've been talking about today as well as trying to respond and address it. But it all comes down to will Congress act to extend the reporting deadline lines this week uh, so that the Census Bureau has the time it needs uh, and, and is able to uh, onboard and, um, and appropriately count everyone in the country. Well, uh, I think we're actually out of time, but Beth Link, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Beth Link, Census Counts Campaign Director with the Leadership Council on Civil and Human Rights. And thanks to you as well, Pamela Michael. You're welcome. Pamela Michaels, media specialist for the U.S. Census Bureau. Michael Wines, national correspondent for the New York Times. Thanks for being on the program as well today. My pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for their questions, comments, concerns that they shared with us. Judy Campbell produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.